Welcome back to another episode, or yeah, another episode in this particular series. Um, I'm here with Frank White. Yes, Frank White is one of the forefathers of investigating the impact of space travel on us as human beings and our part in the planet. He is a space philosopher and an author. He's the guy who termed the phrase uh, and uh, has had a documentary movie made about it, and that's called The Overview Effect. Fabulous book. Highly recommend it. I do think you should get it because it really gives you insights that you may never have even considered. Frank has interviewed 41, so far, 41 astronauts, some of them active astronauts, many of them retired astronauts, and talking about their experience as they left uh, the the planet and look back at Earth. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, um, the founder of Noetic Sciences, spoke extensively about that and actually spoke extensively about Frank White's book, about the overview effect and about that movie. Um, I met Edgar Mitchell many years ago, an amazing man and, ama and really quite astounding. And it, I'm, that was the first time I'd ever heard of the overview effect. Um, we've been talking about, about the overview effect. We've been talking about the consciousness of human beings in the context of being explorers and exploiters. And we want to take this journey a little bit sort of retrospectively, go back a little bit and talk about something that um, I think is very interesting because um, when you think about, any of us think about space travel, it is, it is new. I mean, it's fairly new in the history of men. Um, and one of uh, Frank's books is called The New Camelot, which is a radical interpretation of the Apollo era. Um, and, it, and it really is a very different view. So let's bring Frank back and talk about, about The New Camelot. T tell us why you decided to go down that particular road. Um, because, you know, you and I had talked about off-air uh, that we're both fans of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and and Camelot is, you know, the Arthurian tale is an example of exactly the hero's journey. Um, and in many ways, um, there was many references by historians about the new Camelot being the, the, the Kennedy era. So talk to us about why you went there. Well, you know, uh, around the time my mother gave me the book about stars was when I started getting interested in King Arthur and the Knights. Um, it might have been because I was living in Germany. I mean, you could go to a castle every weekend. Yes. You could go back to the Middle Ages. But in any event, I, I've been really interested in Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table as long as I've been interested in space exploration. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like most of my books come out of an epiphany. It's just like, I get it and I'm going to write it. This one happened to be Ordinary Weekend. Um, I had watched the film Excalibur many, many times. I think it's the best film about King Arthur ever made. Uh, my wife was watching it. Donna was watching it. I thought, oh, I'll sit down and watch it with you. And, you know, I've seen Ooh. it many, many times, but right. it's fun to watch. There's a point in that film where the Knights of the Round Table are seeking the Holy Grail. Yes. 
which is usually seen as the cup Jesus had at the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. But I had this insight. No, no, no. The Holy Grail was the unity of Britain. That was what Arthur was creating. He was overcoming the tribes. Yes. Creating a kingdom. Camelot was the, the, the seat of that kingdom. And I thought, that, that's what Kennedy was doing. The Apollo astronauts were his grail knights. Oh, wow. This is how it all happened in my brain, I'm just saying. Mm. And, and, you know, the unity of the planet was the Holy Grail. The overview effect was the Holy Grail. Yes. And I, I mean, I literally just sat down and wrote that book. It's a short book, but there was almost no stopping uh, in writing it because it was so clear to me. And I did a lot of research to, you know, bolster this thing. And what I found was this secret hiding in plain sight, Doug. Most people don't know President Kennedy did not want Apollo to be a space race. He wanted it to be a collaborative effort with the Soviet Union. Mm. He wanted to unwind the Cold War by finding somewhere Soviet Union and the U.S. could cooperate. Huh. It's documented that in May of 1961, he met with Khrushchev in Vienna, and he proposed it right then. He said, why don't we do this together? Now, Khrushchev had just launched Sputnik. He had put Yuri Gagarin in orbit. Yes. We had barely put Alan Shepard on a suborbital hop, and Khrushchev said, yeah, yeah. no, no way. Most You're Americans perfect. don't realize, or younger Americans certainly don't realize, that the Russians were way ahead of the Americans in the space travel. They were far ahead. And usually the story is that there was a race, a space race. Yes. The United States wanted to catch up, and they did. And, and the United States won the space race by landing Neil Armstrong on the moon in 1969. But Kennedy kept going back to the Russians, to the Soviets. And then in 62, I believe, there was the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the Soviets placed missiles in Cuba, and there was a nuclear standoff. Yes. Both sides realized this is pretty dangerous. We can't do this again. So the Soviets began to be more open to it. Um, just before he died, President Kennedy sent a memo to the NASA head and said, I want you to begin cooperative work with the Soviets, 1963. Two months before he was assassinated, he spoke at the United Nations and said, we should not be competing. Apollo, the mission to the moon should be the Soviet Union and the United States. And then he said, why not all the nations of the world go to the moon together? So when I talk about Camelot, you know, his administration was viewed as Camelot. Yes. But it's portrayed as a quote unquote myth. You know, it wasn't really like Camelot. Um, 
that was just something that was made up after he was assassinated. Mm -hmm. But in the research I did, it turns out he was very influenced by the Arthurian legends. Uh, as a young child, he was very ill a lot. And he used to read those books, the same books I read, probably. Sure, yeah. And if you think about his administration, it was the, the New Frontier. And almost everything going on was a quest, you know, um, uh, the Peace Corps, mm -hmm. anti-poverty efforts, civil rights. Everybody was going off trying to do things. And Apollo, I think, was part of that. Now, just to summarize it, though, there's also a letter he wrote to a congressman who was complaining and actually complaining about his effort to work with the Soviets. And he said, no, it's a two-track policy. Um, if they want to compete, we're going to win. We're not backing off on that. But I think it would be better if we went together. And I mean, can you imagine if in 1969, instead of Neil and Buzz, it was Neil and Vladimir? Right. Um, walking yeah. together? It, it could have made a huge difference in history. And of course, we'll never know because President Kennedy didn't get to carry out his dream. But I conclude the book by saying, you know, Camelot is, is not a place, it's an idea, you know? Yes. And I have said that I think what we need to do now is create a new Camelot on Earth and in the solar system. That it, you know, we should go for something together. Together, collaborative, and I guess it would be called idealistic. Well, that's uh, what I was going to say. I mean, you know, you are a, in many ways, an idealistic philosopher, and I get that. I understand that. And at the same time, we live in a highly competitive consume, consumer-driven world where now we've got Bezos, we've got Google, um, we've got uh, Musk, those high-level entrepreneurs, and I'm not judging them negatively on that, but they are looking now at um, asteroid mining. They're looking at, um, and this is not... By the way, I'm not talking sci-fi folks. This is real. They're already building the ships to go asteroid mining. And, <clears throat> and again, it seems like we're on a fast track to exploitation rather than exploration. And I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not saying it's not possible, but I don't know how do we move out of that mindset? I'm really interested to hear from you mm. uh, with your conversations with these people who've been on that other side. How do we, how do we get people to, I mean, we are so consumer driven. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and we really don't have a problem in taking from others or taking from what we think is ours because we stuck a flag somewhere. So in that context of, of 
you know, asteroid mining and et cetera, and potentially planetary mining. The idea of the International Space Station was exactly what you said. It was international. We're all going to come together, but things are going a bit skew if, and now we've got uh, Donald Trump's uh, Space Force. So talk to us about your concept of all that. I know it really gave you a lot to unpack there. Well, I'd say several things. First of all, I think it's pretty important to understand Jeff Bezos because he actually presents an alternative philosophy to Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And they, they both have the money and the clout to, to realize their vision. But Bezos is following Gerard O'Neill's idea of these free-floating independent space settlements between the Earth and the Moon. Yes. Um, now, that would involve some uh, asteroid mining or moon mining to yep. build them. Mm -hmm. But it's more to create the settlement than to make money through mining. Mm -hmm. Also, there's an inherent environmental concept there. O'Neill imagined taking heavy industry off of the Earth mm -hmm. and moving it into the solar system. Um, he wanted to return the Earth to its original, more pristine uh, environment. And Bezos is pushing the same idea. Bezos mm -hmm. says, the Earth is the best planet in the solar system. I don't want a plan B. He's pretty openly uh, taking a different road from Musk, even mm -hmm. though they, they're seen as being similar people. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly, um, Sir Richard Branson in his idea of space tourism, he really is, is a believer in the value of the overview effect. Absolutely. He wants to make money because he's a businessman, business yeah. person. But I've interviewed him for my book and what he's really interested in is people experiencing the overview effect and coming back and being more environmentally conscious. So, as we see uh, billionaires and business people getting involved in this, many of them do have the larger vision mm -hmm. and they're willing to listen to the kind of thing we've been talking about. So that gives me hope, a lot of hope. Um, and the, the idea of creating a new philosophy of space exploration is really what I'm pushing through the human space program, which is to create a plan based on a different mindset and then present it to Elon Musk, present it to Jeff Bezos, present it to the United Nations and say, will you, will you go along with this? If they will, all the better. If they won't, it, it starts a debate. So I do think the most important thing we can do right now is create an alternative scenario that's, that's still practical. Sure. You know? It's still a plan and it's, it's still, it, it still allows a certain amount of exploitation because I don't think we're going to do it unless there is money to be made um, you know, I don't think it's going to happen unless there is a degree of, um, commerce, 
Commerce, commerce, yeah. I mean, you've got to have that. Sure. But but I think we can have a balance. And but at the same time, I, I mean, I agree with you, but at the same time, human beings, we've been greedy. Um, and then uh, we're greedy for not just money and commerce, but also for power. And so that's why I brought up um, Space Force. Uh, when I look at, at Space Force, um, we know uh, that that idea has been around for a long, long time. I mean, Reagan talked about the Star Wars project. People have forgotten about that, of course, and they think it's all Donald Trump's new idea. It's not. But at the same time, they seem to be looking at Space Force as this um, a place to set up uh, an armed force, you know, the, it's an extension of the Air Force, uh, as an armed force for potential battles um, mm. with other countries um, in space. So this, like, it seems like there's a new gladiator pit that's in space um, where the the Indians fight the Chinese or the Chinese fight the Americans or whoever fights whoever. Um, Jesus, are we ever going to wake up? Are we ever, I mean, like, so the exploits of war, so you're talking about exploitation now. So let's, let's talk about the exploitation of war. I mean, why are we, why is it a military thing? You know, you're talking about this, this, um, space philosophy and i get it and i understand it and i i i don't i'm what i'm trying to i'm sort of grappling with right now is okay let's say bezos buys in let's say musk buys in let's say um branson buys in let's say the google guys buy in all those big entrepreneurs buy in that's different than getting the president of the united states to buy in or the uh, you know, the president of Brazil or some dictatorial or semi-dictatorial tyrannical leader. Yeah. So if you present it to a nation, you know, like that, like, you know, who are the leading, isn't it not easy to just go, eh, whatever. Yeah. It's going to be easy to do that, but you know, uh, we are going to try to get, the space agencies and the governments to buy in. I mean, once we have this plan, this blueprint, uh, we're going to share it widely and try to get as many people as possible to buy into it. Um, will they? I don't know. My, I guess my point is that right now, the biggest problem with the, the issues we're discussing is lack of awareness. Yes. Um, I don't, I don't know the level of awareness in other countries, but in the United States, the awareness of what's going on in the space field is woefully small. Yes. Uh, Nicole Stott, who I mentioned earlier, told me that at one of her talks, she was talking about going to the International Space Station, what it's like there, and you know, we, you and I talked about it. It's 240 miles from the surface of the earth. It's very close. 200 yeah. miles. And somebody in the audience said, uh, Nicole, now let me get this clear. The International Space Station is on the moon, right? Hmm. Well, no. It's right. not. And the, the person was not stupid. 
they just didn't know, you know, and they're capable of knowing, but they didn't have the information. Um, and so that's the number one problem I see. People don't know that decisions are being made today. And you just mentioned one of them, creating Space Force. Decisions being made today that are going to shape our future. Yes. And the fact that they're going to shape the future of human expansion off the planet doesn't mean it won't affect those of us who stay on the planet. No. Just like all the colonial efforts in the 18th and 17th centuries, they didn't have, they did have impact on the home countries that spawned these explorations. So my biggest concern right now is a higher level of awareness. And um, once that happens and the debate starts, I'm going to be much happier. <laughs> but right now I feel like we're, we're doing things that people just don't know about and uh, they're focused on other things. And it's understandable right now. People are focused on COVID and that's immediate. And but that's, but there's always, I mean, this is the thing I talked about this yesterday in an interview. There's always a new drama. There's there always a new reason. And, and I'm not talking about in the Trump era. I mean, just generally uh, in the social media era, there's always a new drama. There's always a new thing to distract us from what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get caught in what's emergent. I mean, I asked somebody yesterday, how many things do you think are major news stories have happened um, in 2020 in the first quarter? You know, it's, it's beyond measure. And, and I say, well, you know, when you think about, let me just tell you a story about something that happened um, that was the most major uh, life-threatening uh, event um, that wiped out species. And they go, oh, when was that? And I go, 2020, January, the fires in Australia. Species were wiped out. Millions and millions of animals were killed. And we talked about that the planet is on fire and we've got to do something about about it. And now people don't even remember it. Right? They don't even remember the Jeffrey Epstein case. They don't remember the impeachment of Donald Trump. You know, there's a new thing every 20 minutes. Right? So it's how do do you have any idea i mean i'm really asking you here do you have any idea of how do we pull people in this moment how do we pull them into a both much smaller and much bigger picture meaning much smaller recognizing that you know you're a grain of sand on the beach as a human being you know there's there's Mm. so many more things and a much bigger level as in we're all connected there is no separation do you have any any concept of that of like how we because i know you were influenced by some great thinkers you know um carl sagan you've mentioned others um asimov you know these were people who didn't think the way other people thought you didn't think the way other people thought that's how the overview effect came about do you have any ideas on this 
Well, I would say a couple of things. One is that um, just the fact of what we're doing is encouraging mm -hmm. in the sense that as opposed to uh, the, the Apollo era or, you know, pre-internet, let's say, um, we have a much larger technological capability to communicate what we're talking about in the sense that like when my book came out in 1987, I intended to create a revolution in how we thought about things. And I naturally gravitated toward getting a book published because that's how you did it in those, yeah. those years. 1987, there was no real alternative to that. Today, we can have your podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I have a blog. Uh, and, you know, there is social media available that wasn't available before. And I believe what we need to do is create a comprehensive communications effort mm -hmm. that will keep hammering home these alternative realities that we're trying to get over. I think, you know, um, I started in response to COVID, I started what was initially called the COVID effect. Um, and what we were trying to think through was we have this moment where everyone is saying we're all in this together, which is what the astronauts say. Yeah. How can we use it to get the message out? Mm -hmm. And now we've shifted in a more Camelot way. They're now called the overview roundtables. And Very so, cool. uh, yes, and I want to invite you to come, okay, Thank to, you. Uh, to these. But we we have a small group of people gathering to ask the question you're asking um, there's a moment here yeah how can we use it and it's a moment that may go away but there will be another crisis because covid didn't come out of the blue it really came out of what you and i've been talking about which is encroaching on natural habitats yes behaviors with animals that uh, these pathogens can get released into a larger society. The, the fact that air travel is so easy that something can happen in China and before you know it, it's all over the world, or something can happen in India and it's all over the world or in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's ever been a moment where people see that we have to do things differently, I think it's now. Uh, I've said, you know, I've said humanity's been thrown into prison all over the world because we broke natural law. Yep. Uh, we've all, for the first time, the entire planet has, has really experienced something directly as a result of our own actions uh, that I hope will make us think about the next, the next thing down the road. I, I hope so too, Frank. Um, however, as I've written about many times, um, humans are woefully uh, weak at remembering what's important. Sadly, you know, we don't learn from our mistakes. Generally speaking, we tend to repeat them and figure they'll be different this time. And, um, but I, I want to change gears uh, 
in a minute. At, um, we're going to take another little break because I want to change gears because I want to, uh, I, there are some things I really want to get to. I, we could probably go for many hours, um, but there's some things I really want to get to. Number one, uh, we're gonna when we come back, I want to talk about um, the release of uh, uh, film that has been not seen before, although the rumors have been there regarding uh, unidentified flying objects um, and uh, what astronauts have said about that. Um, and the impact of um, being with, around, writing with uh, probably, if not the most famous, one of the most famous science fiction writers in the world, uh, at that time at least, Isaac Asimov, um, who actually had a lot of influence on science, not just on science fiction, and was a co-author with you. So we're going to come back and talk about those things. And I really appreciate this. I want to thank you for tuning in. And we've got, a, we've got the next part of the show coming up in just a few minutes. We'll be back with the man who created the overview effect, Mr. Frank White. 